so today's <coughs> topic, so we're going through this book, just as a reminder, it's called Sanctification, The Transformed Life. Um, it's about sanctification. Um, and I was actually really encouraged studying for this week because, so the topic this week is not in isolation. So last week we talked about, the book describes it as the setting and the things that sort of play into our sanctification. Um, and so it, this chapter is more of an extension of the last one. So going back real quick, the ways in which um, God uses, the things that God uses to sanctify us. Uh, we talked about God's word. So obviously being in the word, studying the word, reading scripture, memorizing scripture, uh, prayer, spending time together in prayer, uh, and then uh, suffering. Suffering was another one. Through individual or mutual suffering, we are sanctified. Mm-hmm. And then, by extension, this chapter is about the church. So he titles it, Not in Isolation. And we'll kind of get into what that means. Um, obviously, to speak to it at a high level, it basically means that our sanctification is a group effort. It is a group project, mm-hmm. so to speak. Right? We spend time in prayer individually. We spend time in the Word, yes. We are sanctified individually, sure, yes. But we're also sanctified in the context of a church body, in a community of believers, right? So it's not something we do in isolation. It's not something we should do completely in isolation. Uh, so that's kind of what this chapter is over. And so it was a good week for me to sort of study this because um, I, I'm, not asking, I'm not looking for any kind of sympathy, but it was a hard week. Uh, one of my kids was sick. She spent three days throwing up all day and then another two days think we thought she was better and then she would throw up again and it's just kind of like the clock reset kind of thing mm. uh i work from home so it's kind of this this tension of i need I, I need to do work but my wife is overwhelmed because one kid is throwing up the other kid needs to be doing his homeschool stuff and the other one's just running around completely unsupervised <laughs> and so it was like i this draw to sort of i need to work but i also want to help phoebe's obviously really overwhelmed and so we kind of wound that up this week. Coke was feeling better. We kept her home just to be safe. Um, I, you know, Phoebe got out last night and was able to sort of get away. I was like, you just need to be by yourself for a little while. So we kind of wrapped that up. But in, in preparing for this, you know, it was so I was so encouraged because it's on a week that I may be sort of, I don't want to use the word suffering. It's not really suffering necessarily. Um, but in a week that I, in a week that I may not normally feel like I am being sanctified. One, I probably actually am. That's probably a very sanctifying week. I'm just not seeing it uh, because it was it was so hard in the moment. But there are weeks when, when I am low, so to speak, the rest of the body is sort of helping me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the rest of the body is here, right? So I may be uh, having a bad week, but there are others that are having a good week that can help encourage me, right? They can help, they can see things that I can't see. I'm in the midst of, of, a, of a child who's really sick and I'm, I'm distracted by that and I'm, I'm feeling isolated. I'm feeling like, man, why is the Lord doing this to us or whatever? And there are other people that are not having that kind of week that can say, just keep in mind that suffering is what sanctifies you. And also, if you need any help, let me know. I can take Rosie for a little while. It's just that, that way of sort of serving each other in the body. It's just a good reminder of sanctification and what it's like to experience that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in isolation. So. And you heard that a new wave of whatever is coming around. <laughs> yeah, more sickness. It's always. I, I, don't I hope not, but. Do you guys take prayer requests? Is this a good time? Let's wait till the end. Okay. Yeah, I would love to do that though, but I do want to pray now though when we when we get started. So, um, so let's go ahead and do that real quick. Um, God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to just spend time together, uh, being sanctified together, studying your word together, um, and <clears throat> just uh, sort of steeping ourselves in what your word says about these things. Uh, I ask that you would prepare our hearts for what it is that you would teach us this morning. Uh, through the preaching of your word, we know that uh, Brennan, our youth pastor, is teaching today. Be with him. Uh, Give him uh, wisdom, clarity of thought, clarity of mind. Uh, And we ask that um, in this class, in the marriage class, and in our service, um, that uh, you would speak through uh, your your broken vessels, um, that it would be your words that are heard and not anybody else's, and that through your Spirit's power, you would enlighten us to new things about you. So thank you for this time together. Um, We love you so much, and we pray this in your name. Amen. 
Um, okay, so basically what I, what I want to do is, is just basically kind of expound upon um, sort of what it means uh, to uh, be sanctified in a community of believers, right? So by extension, it kind of means like what, is, what does life in the church look like, right? So class is about sanctification, and I think you, you could belabor the point, nitty-gritty, of like how that works in a community setting, but in, in reality, it's if we are sanctified by being a part of the body, then what does the body look like, right? And what does what does community and what does a Christian community look like? How does a church function? How should it function? What do the people do inside the body? So first, I just want to not to belabor the point, but I just wanted to speak to this idea about the body, uh, basically bringing it back to scripture. Um, and where's my? There it is. Um, so basically, to, to start the point, if you think about you think about Acts, you think about Pentecost, you think about the early church in general. The early Christians didn't live; uh, they didn't live out their new life in Christ in isolation, right? You think about what happened in the Book of Acts. They were continually coming together. They were listening to the preaching of the word. They were sharing what they had with those in need. A lot of them were selling everything they had to basically sort of give to other people in need. As they saw the need, they were prepared to give uh, to those people. They were breaking bread, praying together. So if you look at if you look at the early church in Acts and, and all on, so on, it there's just this idea of they're all doing it together, right? It's just kind of hard to escape that. There's no sense in which they're like, oh, I have received the Holy Spirit. My, the, the scales have fallen from my eyes. I'm going to go retreat in the mountains and be by myself and just think about these things, right? It's like, no, they came together. They came together, they were serving each other, they were preaching to each other, they were learning from each other, they were singing, they were sharing bread, praying for each other, they were a body. That imagery is used all throughout the New Testament, right? Uh, can somebody read Romans 12, 4 through, I think it's actually 8. I'm going to bring it up here too. My notes say 4 through 5, but I think it's 4 through 8. Romans 12, 4 through 8, please. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving... Let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. There you go. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. <coughs> yeah, so as you can see here, Paul says, For as in one body we have many members. And the members do not all have one function. Mm -hmm. So this idea that there is one body, but it's one body made up of multiple members. And <clears throat> I think it's really interesting because it, it's sort of analogous to the Trinity as well, right? The Trinity is, is one God in three, three distinct persons, right? So there's this kind of this sort of imagery there as well. But the church, God's body, is one singular body, but it's made up of many members. And what I like here is he sort of illustrates the nature of the church in that passage really beautifully. So if you look at it, he highlights its unity in verse 5. If you look at verse 5, uh, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, right? So there's this unity that he's talking about. There's one body, but it's made up of multiple members. So this multiple members equal one body. There's this a unit, an implied unity there. It's diversity. So you look at verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service 
uh, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. So there's diversity there. There's different gifts given to different people, right? And then we need to be able to recognize one's gift and use it eagerly and appropriately to who? In service to others in an effort to glorify God. So that passage was the first one I sort of marked down as this. I mean, there's others that I can read through in just a second, but this idea that the church is a body and it's made of individual members is imagery in the New Testament that's really powerful and it's all over the New Testament. So a couple of other references, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 says, for just as the body is one, it has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So there, again, there's this idea of the body and its inclusion of Jews and Greeks. First uh, Corinthians, uh, further down that same passage, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Ephesians 1, and he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So again, there's all this, this imagery in here of the, the church is the body. It's individually made up of members who cooperate together in the spirit to form the, the bride of Christ, right? And Christ is the head of the church. So it's a beautiful picture of imagery. So just wanted to go through that. I think sometimes it's easy to say, oh, the church is like a body. Like, yeah, yeah, I've read that at some point. But to actually go through and say, like, this is how Paul describes it. This is the analogy he uses and the points he makes was helpful for me to remember as we go through the rest of this. So kind of like the previous lessons, the this chapter in this book sort of talks through the, the ways that we're sort of sanctified that are in, like specifically in the church, right? So the, the last chapter was maybe a little more broad, a little more higher level. It was talking about um, spending time in the word, prayer, suffering. And then at this, by this chapter, we sort of extend it to the church it's not an isolation. I think we've kind of we've kind of gone through that, right? The church is a body. We spend time together. Um, we are sanctified together in the body and our participation in the church. So what are some things within the church that sort of, I don't want to use the word play, I don't want to use the terminology play a role, but sort of help sanctify us. And so the first one is uh, uh, teaching and listening to the word. So we actually saw that. Um, we see that in Acts. We see that in... Um, in that Romans passage as well. So can somebody read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, Mm -hmm until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Yeah. So I feel like if there if there were a proof text, right? If somebody said, you need to try to, to teach this idea that sanctification happens not individually, but in isolation and it happens, or not in isolation in the context of a church community. What is the one proof text that you would use for that? And I feel like if I had to choose out of everything I sort of looked into, uh, it would be that one. Um, Rather than speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So makes the body grow, the body of Christ grow. That could be adding to the numbers of the body of Christ. That can mean the local church growing in its membership, not for the sake of membership, but for the sake of the gospel being proclaimed and more people coming to hear the word. Um, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love that passage. It's beautiful because it, it creates this idea that 
everybody has a role, right? There's some of us that think, you know, I, I remember growing up <clears throat> having friends that were so gifted in uh, memorizing scripture and being able to recall it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you if you know people like this. There's just people that they they read a, they read a verse. There's some people that just read a verse and they remember it forever, or they put into practice memorizing it. But then once they memorize it, like it's just always there. They can recall it immediately as if it's like written in front of their face. And I remember as as a as a uh, as a youth, uh, just. In, in my zeal for wanting to be a better believer and into being, you know, whatever, I would look at those friends and just be like, God, why don't I have that? Like, I must not be as smart as them. I, I must not be as holy as them. I must not be as faithful as them. Um, and in reality, that's just not, that's not the case. In reality, we've all been gifted in different ways, right? So everybody has a role, right? Your role may just be that you stand in the front door of the church and you're just a nice looking person who has a big, beautiful smile and you make the person walking in that door just immediately feel, feel very welcome. And you know what? That role, that function is no less important than any other function in the that's church, right. right? Like that's how we, we are sanctified together. We find that thing that God has blessed us with, this gift, this grace, this talent, and we use it in service to others. It could be literally anything. You can make a really good cup of coffee. That's right. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, that, could be your, that could be the gift that God's given you, Right. Not everybody's going to have the gift of preaching the word or teaching the word uh, or being able to memorize and recall scripture just like that. Though I think probably for us, it behooves us to study the scriptures, right? I'm um, not saying if you're not good at memorizing, don't even try. But what I am saying is that some people just have that gift. But that gift isn't even more important because it's by grace that those gifts have been given to us, right? Uh, so that person received that gift as a gift of grace from the Lord, right? Just as we received other gifts of grace. So... Um, I like, um, I actually read a commentary on that passage, and I like the way that R.C. Sproul put it. Um, he says, there is growth in the body when each member of the body works properly mm-hmm. in service to others. Effective teachers help believers find their own way to benefit the rest of the church. So that was really cool. I think is a good reminder for our church leadership, our pastors, our elders, our deacons, and even for those of us in, in lay positions that teach Sunday school or, or handle certain ministries that in reality, there's this idea that in order to be effective in what we do, we have to live in service to others and we have to help our fellow believers find what it is that they're good at, the gift of grace that they've been given and how they can serve the body. So there's just this reminder that in order for a church, the body of Christ to grow and to be healthy and to be effective, that we have to live in such a way that we are in service to others. And so what is it that, that you, what is it that God's gifted you to do? Um, and effective teachers uh, help the body find that. So um, the other way in which uh, we are sanctified in the context of the local church are the sacraments, mm-hmm. uh, specifically baptism and communion. Um, I just brought this, I, I quoted one little thing from this, and I would just say just generally, uh, just as a, as a recommendation. There's this book that I've read. It's called Truth We Can Touch. And it's basically how baptism and communion shape our lives. Um, this is a really good read. Um, it is, it makes incredible points that I thought were incredibly poignant, but it does it in a very um, simple way. Like this isn't an academic book where every, you know, the first third of the page is text and then the rest is like footnotes. <laughs> um, like it's very accessible and it just, it paints this beautiful picture of what, those sacraments represent and how they are for us and how powerful they are. Um, because it can be easy uh, in a context like ours where we take it every single week for it to sort of lose its potency, so to speak. But this sort of reminds us of how important those things are, right? What was the um, name? It's called Truth We Can Touch. Truth, Truth We, we touch. Can Touch. Oh, it's Truth We Can Touch. And it's by Tim Chester. So the sacraments, particularly baptism and communion. Um, Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. So there there are some conversations around that particular passage, whether or not breaking breaking bread was actually referring to the Lord's Supper versus breaking bread as in like fellowshipping, eating together. I'd like to think given sort of the context of that passage and others that it is talking about uh, the the Lord's table. But if you think about it, when you think about baptism and communion, 
Think about the context in which you've either participated or witnessed either of those sacraments. Like, help me out. Like, imagine in your mind, what does it look like? What's happening? What I'm getting at is, were you in a room by yourself? Everyone was together. Right? Think about about the time that you were baptized. Did you dunk yourself in water? (laughs) Were you a baby that sprinkled yourself? (laughs) Nope. Literally by function of those things, like they have to be done with other people, <clears throat> right? So that's a little more, that's, that's not totally scriptural. That's just like logically, I'm looking at this going, there's just a logical point to be made there. You literally can't take communion by yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't baptize yourself. It literally requires other people. Um, these acts are communal. So if you literally look at the rest of Acts, you read books <coughs> like this that talk more in about communion. Sorry, I'm, not, I'm kind of rushing through this because we're... I'm a little behind, but uh, these acts are communal. Mm-hmm. Baptism is a communal thing. Why? It, it doesn't matter what the context is. It could be a pedo-baptist context where you're having a child that's sprinkled, uh, and, and it represents this being brought into the, the covenant of God. Uh, it's not, for those of you who don't know, most, not, I, guess, I guess I can't say all, most pedo-baptists don't believe that's effectual towards salvation. It is a, represent, it is a representation of being brought into God's covenant, the thing is, non pedo baptist contexts, they borrow that and they call them baby dedications. So anyway, <laughs> there's Credo-Baptists where we take the stance of there's immersion. That immersion under the water, that sort of symbolizes it's being brought back to life. Personally, not that it matters, I'm a Credo-Baptist. The reason for that being, I feel like there's so much that talks about, there's so much reference being made to being brought from death to life that in my mind... The, the, the act of being immersed and being brought up in baptism is a, is a much more clearer picture. In reality, both of them are arguments made from silence, which aren't strong arguments. So it's like you can kind of go either way. But for me, I see so many beautiful pictures of this idea of being brought from death to life mm-hmm. that I think a credo-baptist position on baptism, in my mind, is a, is, a, is, a, is a more accurate representation of what's happening. That's just me, personally, regardless that's happening in the context of the local church with other people around. Why? Because they're sanctified by that. It's a beautiful picture of being reminded of God's promises to us and the fulfillment of those promises uh, and the covenant family of God that we belong to. So when we see somebody baptized, um, that proclamation of what God's done for them like, is a reminder of what he's done for and in us. And so those things happen in the context of the local church because they help us be sanctified. Same with communion. We take communion together to be reminded of the finished work of what Christ did for us on the cross, right? The body that was given for us, the blood that's a symbol of the new covenant that we have in God. Like Those are beautiful reminders every single week that we do uh, to be reminded of what, of what Christ has done for us. And we do those uh, in the context of the church. So Thomas Cranmer, who was one of the leaders of the Reformation, English Reformation, he was, one of the, he was one of the archbishops of Canterbury. He said, I just like this quote. He said, our Lord Jesus Christ has knit together a company of new people with sacraments. So he's talking about this idea of baptism and communion being the thing that God used to knit together a family. Uh, Tim Chester in this book says, there is a sense in which Christian community is formed by baptism and communion. Baptism brings the church into existence and communion sustains its communal life. So there's this idea that by being baptized, you're being brought into the church, you're being brought into God's family, and then taking communion together sustains that sort of familial relationship, right? So it's this sustaining thing that we do. We take communion together because we are a people that have been brought together uh, in our love of Christ and what Christ has done for us. By taking communion, we're reminded of those things and we're reminded of the grace that God's shown us the reality in which we live in as believers, and it's a reminder to serve each other because ultimately we were served by Christ. And so obviously, uh, just to reference real quick, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, and he's reminding them of uh, what's described in Luke. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Uh, and for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this idea that we participate in this thing because we're reminding ourselves um, of what God's done for us. Baptism replaced, uh, that's kind of, I'm getting kind of out of order here. Baptism replaced, this is kind of going back to the other baptism comment. Uh, baptism replaced circumcision as the sign of admission into God's covenant. So it used to be for the Jewish people, circumcision was that sign that admission into God's family that at some point in history changed and it was baptism. Uh, but the Lord's Supper signifies our continued communion with Christ uh, and with his church. So do we baptize in this church? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we usually have baptism services. They're not, they're not like regularly scheduled. It's as people come to know the Lord and want to make that profession of faith, we baptize them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's very much a demonstration versus as... Danny was alluding to for paedo-baptists or children, infant baptism, and uh, being brought into the covenant. This is more of a realization and a profession, public profession. Of public faith. profession of faith, yeah. Growing up in the Baptist church, it was, how did he put it? He was like, uh, it, was the, it was the outward showing of an, an, out, an outside showing of an inside change or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea that you're professing faith in Christ, that you're professing what God's done for you. Um, you've been speaking so much about community there's um, someone that I've I've read um, in undergrad but by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer I don't yeah. know if any of you know Bonhoeffer but he wrote a little book called Life Together mm. and it was so impactful about the importance of Christian community mm. and I found a quote from it because often we, you know, this goes back to being members of the body. We rely so heavily on other members in the church to encourage and to help us along in our sanctification. And one thing that he said, I, I was, oh no, I got the quote messed up in my mind, but it was that the Christ in ourselves is sometimes weaker than the Christ in our brother. And I wanted to find the context of that because that truly helps us and encourages us along when we're in times of suffering or times of despair that we need the word by other people. And this gets back to this whole sense of community and gifts and everything. Bonhoeffer says, but God has put word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without bellying the truth. He needs his brothers he needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. And it's just that context of how important it is to be in the community of believers. So. Yeah, man, I love that. That lucky text it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a great quote. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to take you off. No, track. that's just, no, that's great. I love I love that. Yeah. I it's one of those weeks where it's like, I did my best to prepare. I wish I had been able to spend more time. But it's like things like that that are so helpful to help sort of frame up what we're talking about. Um, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, is really is really great. So I love that quote. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kind of fly through this. And what I, I, what I want to do is we have about, uh, I'm being super careful on time this morning. My wife's not here. I got to make sure I get my kids. I don't get yelled at for not kidding <laughs> Uh, so we have about 10 or 15 minutes. I do want to have time at the end for prayer requests. So I'm going to kind of fly through the rest of this, but if you have questions, feel free to stop, stop me. Um, the next, I want to make sure we get to the, there's a big part of the end that I want to get to, but I don't, I don't want to skip over this one because I think it's important, but to the appearance of skipping over it may be unhelpful because it's not, it's, it's a, not, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Uncomfortable. One of the means that God uses to sanctify us in the context of the local, local church is church discipline. So church discipline, there's no universal agreement on necessarily what that means or how it's enacted. Though I will say there's a lot of agreement if you sort of look broadly across denominations, across confessions, across theological thought. There's a lot of agreement 
on this idea of exclusionary discipline. An exclusion being excluding them from the body, most practically excluding them from the Lord's table. 2 Thessalonians 3, 13 through 15 says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Mm-hmm. So what is the purpose of that? What's the purpose? It was like five words. That he may be ashamed. This idea of church discipline is not, it sounds really mean. It sounds really hateful. The idea and the purpose of church discipline is that you separate somebody from the family so that their sin is more evident to them and that they repent of that sin and they're brought back into the fellowship of the body. Now, you may be asking, like, again, this is where there's no universal agreement, right? Because we all sin, do we not? We are all sinners. We all sin. I sinned the second before I walked into this room, right? You know, just some sinful thought or driving here. You know, I was impatient with my child, right? Just we're all sinners. It doesn't matter how benign or small. We're all sinners. And so that's why these conversations can often be uncomfortable because it's like, what does it mean? Like, am I, should I be afraid to confess to a brother my sin? Are they going to kick me out of the church? Are they going to discipline me? And in reality, church discipline is for, if I had to put it in my own words, um, it is for ongoing, ongoing public unrepentant sin. So if you came to me as a brother and said, man, I'm just struggling, man. I, for whatever reason, like I, I just lie to people. Like I lie to people and I can't help it. I don't know why I do it. It's this weird compulsion. I'd say, brother, scripture says not to lie. I'm going to pray for you and pray with you on that. We're going to sort of help each other through that. I'm not going to immediately go to, okay, and we'll tell Ryan, we're going to get the process of church discipline rolling. You know what I'm saying? It sounds more scary than it is. The idea is that it's done in love. Now, I want to, I want to be clear here. There are plenty of stories, plenty of, of, of examples I'm sure we all have, either by experience or from hearing uh, anecdote, um, about church discipline being done improperly. Those things, by, by and large, exist. Um, but I don't think because it's done improperly in other contexts or even occasionally in our context that it shouldn't be done at all. There's a, there's a place for it. And the place for it is so that this person may be ashamed. They realize the, deprav- the, the weight of their sin before the Lord and repent of it and are brought back into the fellowship of the body. First Corinthians is actually even tougher. They use the language of giving him over to the destruction of his flesh so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So this idea of like, let them be destroyed so that ultimately destroyed in their flesh so that ultimately they may by their spirit might be saved. And so in either case, the point of the purpose here is the restoration of sinners, right? Glorifying God and turning away from sin and back towards him and back towards faithful fellowship in the body of Christ. Again, we're all sinners. We're all shown an immense amount of grace. I don't, I don't want to talk about this subject and scare anybody um, because at the end of the day, Again, it's 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 for ongoing public unrepentant mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. Go for it. And just as a practical note, every time I've seen church discipline carried out in a structured form, yeah. it has been a last resort. There mm-hmm. has been conversations, opportunities. Oh, yeah. for sure. Um, Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. Repentance. And yeah. so, yeah, it is kind of a That's last important. resort. That's an important distinction. From a practical standpoint. Yeah, I think you said that much more clearly. So, so kind of requires some repentance already in your heart to prevent that but if if you're not getting it yeah then the church steps in and tries to do right because there there's those moments where if you see sin in a brother you go to your brother if he continues to sin you bring another brother if he continues to sin, you bring another so there's this idea that you were constantly trying to work with this person in their sin and as kevin said uh in our church it's been a while since we've we've seen that sort of enacted um but it is it is in love it is for the it is the for the purpose of restoration and it is always done as, as basically a last resort it's not something that we just throw out immediately oh you're in sin cool well get out don't take the lord's table we don't want you come back when you're when you're like when you when you can apologize kind of thing right. it's not flippant it's a very serious thing uh, and it's done with it's done in love again for the rep i just i want to i want to hammer that in it is done in love through love uh, for the purpose of restoration. And as you, as you read in 
uh, Second Thessalonians, it says, do not, uh, do not regard them as an enemy, right? So it doesn't mean kick them out of the church and then don't go hang out with them. Right. Don't like, you know, don't break your personal fellowship with him. It just means bar him from the table so that he feels the weight of his sin and feels that weight, that pressure. Again, Christ has forgiven that sin, but he mm-hmm. needs to be repentant of that sin, right? So anyway, in either case, the point or purpose is the restoration of sinners, glorifying God and the turning away from sin and running back towards the grace that God provides us. Uh, like I said, church discipline can, just like any other thing, it can be, abu- it can be abused, uh, but in its rightful practice, you're actually loving our neighbors. You're sanctifying each other by pointing them back to Christ in the mortification of their sin. So, um, and you always kind of keep in mind, what is it there? But for the grace of God, go I. You know. Yeah, exactly. Or that far away from the same situation. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so lastly, um, me. This the, he kind of put this bucket together in this book. Uh, he's sort of described it as mutual care and ministry, which is overarching kind of what we've already talked about, but it, he kind of like buckets it into its own thing. And there's some verses that kind of play into that, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read them real quick. Actually, um, let me look at this real quick. Jeremy, could you pull up Colossians 3? Mm-hmm. Um, it's verse... I think it's just verse 16 and 17. Okay. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one I'm sorry, another. Real quick, I'm wisdom. sorry. Can you start at verse 12? Yeah. Bad. So sorry. 12, I was wondering. Yeah. Sorry, 12 yeah. through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one another has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And also above, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Hmm. So put on as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Hmm. bearing with one another, and if anyone has complained against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Uh, and above all these, put on love. So we talk about these things. We talk about sanctification. Obviously, there's this idea that we should be, uh, you know, we should be studying the word. We should be praying together. We're sanctified through suffering. We're sanctified through church discipline, through the sacraments. There's also this idea of just being in a community of believers, a body of people who live in service to each other out of love. So above all, put on love, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Um, by it, putting on love binds everything together in perfect har- harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. So again, going back to this idea that we're all one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching each other in wisdom, singing songs and hymns, being thankful uh, to God in your heart. Uh, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, Hebrews t- uh, 10, 24-25 says, And let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Mm-hmm. So it's taught this, this idea that we, we should not neglect to meet together, right? So you can sort of extrapolate that in some weird ways. I kind of think about, I think about COVID and, you know, all those sort of things. Uh, churches were knocked for closing for that, for this, you know, using this passage as sort of a bludgeon. Um, so I'm not making any political comments here, but Hebrew says that you should not neglect to meet to each, to meet with each other. Right? So this is the idea that the body of Christ, the individual members of the body of Christ, need to meet together as a body. They need to do it regularly because that's how we stir up, uh, stir up one another to love and good works is by mm-hmm. being together uh, and do it, encouraging another all the more as the day draws near. Finally, First Thessalonians 5:14 through 15 says, "And we urge you, brothers." 
Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all of them. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, mm. but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So there's this idea, again, that as believers, we are to be kind to each other. We are to help the weak. We are to admonish, uh, encourage the faint-hearted and admonish the idle. So this idea where if one part of the body is, uh, like we said, sort of sagging, you as a brother come up and you help kind of help them up, right? And when you're, when you're falling low, they help bring you back up. There's this idea that we're sort of living in service to each other. There are going to be times where we don't live out the Christian life perfectly, more often than not, probably. Uh, and there's going to be times where our sanctification feels like it's all over the map and that maybe it's it's slower than it was and at some point, whatever. In all of that, we have a community of saints, a community in which we can live together with other believers and we can live in service to each other, encouraging each other and pointing each other back to Christ. Because ultimately, uh, it is Christ, his finished work in us, as we've said before, I didn't want to like spend all that time recapping, but uh, as we keep saying, our justification uh, is a sure thing, as is our sanctification. But it is our justification is the foundation of our sanctification, uh, and it is the the assurance that we have because of Christ's finished work. And so, what I want to say is, because um, I want to be mindful of this, in all of this, right? This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I just want to make that clear. It is the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to even think about these things, do these things, right? So. Like we said before, sanctification as a church, we believe is monergistic, but it often looks synergistic because there are things that we do. We participate in the body of Christ by taking the sacraments, by participating in church discipline, by serving each other in good works. But it is through the Spirit's power that those things happen. The Holy Spirit is what gives us the ability to do those things. Amen. You know, I love this thing for the body to work in harmony. Each individual is come surrender to him, mm. surrender to Jesus, yeah. because he says no one come to the Father except, except to me. me. Mm. And when we surrender to him, he is the head. Is I the am head. a member. You are a member. He's a member. Mm-hmm. So when we are surrendered, we don't let he direct us. He directs we, we us. are Amen. one in him, and we do what he want us to do. Amen. His love. He had. He was full of love. That love is in us. Mm. He, he enlightens us, he enlightens his word, his spirit within us mm-hmm. that casts all of the darkness that is was in us gradually, you know, mm-hmm. in process and we get stronger in him together. Amen. Yeah. Amen. But the thing is that we have to humble ourselves and know that we need him Absolutely. and surrender. And he says, you follow me. If you obey me, you are mine. Mm-hmm. If you are, don't obey, say, Lord, Lord, you don't follow me. Yeah. So what this, Totally surrender with our willing, we wholeheartedly. He will mm. love and he will get us and teach us. Yeah, so he's patient with us. He's he is very patient, patient with us. us. Amen. And I'm, I am thankful beyond all thankfulness for that. Yeah. Yeah. So Christ is our head. That's so good. Our Christ is our head. We surrender to him. Uh, that We are given the spirit that helps us to do the things we need to do, even when we in our flesh feel like we can or don't want to, right? We follow him, we live in that way because the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do so with Christ as our head. So that is it. That is uh, not in isolation. That is how God uses the church. I would say the, I I have said the local church, but I, I sort of mean broadly the lowercase c Catholic church, the universal church, the body of Christ. Yeah. But a lot of these things also apply to the local church, this mm-hmm. local body of believers. So, um, so yeah, there's that. We have maybe just a couple of minutes. Jeff, I, you know, you asked about prayer requests. Yeah. Um, I would love to take a few if we have just a few minutes and then pray real quick. So do you want yeah, to start so, us out? So in this case, uh, this is in regard to my oldest daughter, who's 38. Okay. She's, um, her family broke the broke up about a year ago, and then she's just had a hard time with feeling adequate. Um, also, that's sent her down the road of living a different lifestyle that she should be, and uh, and it's also caused her to go in a direction where she doesn't really want any of my leadership. She doesn't want any 
it correction. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's been the biggest problem. But what it resulted in recently is that she's had her third heart attack. Mm-hmm. And um, found out she's uh, in stage four renal failure of her mm-hmm. kidneys. She's been a diabetic since she was 10. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I'm worried about her health. Yeah. And she has a 10 year old daughter yeah. that she raises own by herself. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that, but I know, I know it comes back to her struggle with not wanting to live for God mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. She wants to live her life and she mm-hmm. wants to have love and intimacy. But I know that the Lord is telling me, don't worry about this, worry about her condition of her heart. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I really want to ask about. Yeah. Did I, did I miss her name? What's her name? Natasia. Natasia. Okay. Yeah. And she's your 38 year old daughter. Yeah. She's okay. my third. My first. Your first. Mm-hmm. I have three. Natasia. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, I have, um, I have a thing. Something happened to my eye here. And uh, I just, I have this like, it looks like a tree hanging inside of my eyeball. Mm. So I can't really see out of this eye too well. Mm. I'm I'm sorry. For... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anybody else? It's the one that they know God and they still they know but they went. They had a very I know they got a baptism, a Holy Spirit baptism, but they got married different mm-hmm. thing. Believe they're not believers that much. You know, they are trying. But it's still the life still is not. Mm-hmm. God bring him back, real, bring that in light back. Mm-hmm. Remind them who they mm-hmm. are in him mm-hmm. and lift them up. The Holy mm-hmm. Spirit can do that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Restoration. Yeah, that That's restoration. Right. Amen. I pray that God's will be done in the Ukraine and Russia oh, yeah. comes. Yes. It's, um, yeah. it's frightening. Yeah. And I think of the. Christians and the missionaries that are over there. Yeah, absolutely. Very trying time. Yeah. yeah. I'm coming up to Jesus soon. He's yeah. coming up to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I will close in prayer real quick. Um, <clears throat> God, we <clears throat> we come before you, God, in, in full faith that you are um, a powerful being, that you are a holy God, that you work for uh, the purposes of your glory. Um, God, you are worthy to be praised, worthy to be worshiped. And we thank you first and foremost for the salvation that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grace that you've shown us in sending us your son, having him uh, live a perfect life on our behalf, die, be buried, uh, be resurrected, and then ascended back into heaven. Thank you for uh, the process by which you've reconciled us to yourself. Thank you for the hope that we all have now because of that, because you chose us, because you chose to send your son uh, to die for our sin. Thank you so much for that reality. God, I lift up all the prayer requests to you. I lift up Jeff, uh, the, 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 whatever this is he's experiencing in his eye, we ask that you heal it. God, we know that often, um, uh, we know that you are a powerful God and that you could heal this right now, right this second, if you wanted to. And we ask for that and we ask that you heal him. Uh, knowing that, God, maybe the timing of your answered prayers are not often the timing we want. But we do ask, just with complete knowledge of your power and ability, that you could you can heal him. So uh, whatever discomfort he's experiencing, whatever is um, happening with his eye, God, we just ask that you, that you heal that, that you would allow him to um, regain some vision, uh, and for that, uh, whatever whatever's happening, to be, to be healed. Um, and we pray for his daughter, Natasia, God, that she... Uh, God, that she would feel uh, the weight of her sin and that she would experience uh, that moment when the, when the scales are lifted from her eyes, when the, the Holy Spirit regenerates her heart, when he uh, puts, the Holy Spirit puts his hand inside her chest, takes out that heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. God, being brought from death to life, we ask that that be something that Natasha experiences, God, that, that you would regenerate her heart, that she would see her sin for what it is, that she would turn towards you, follow you, uh, and um, that you would restore her, God. And for all, that's the most important thing, but for all the sort of 
things that sort of surround that, like the life circumstances and the health things, God, we also ask that you be present in those things as well, that you'd bring healing where there needs to be healing, God, for whatever uh, pain there is um, in, in, in relationships or in life circumstances, that you'd begin to mend those things, that God, through your Spirit's power, you would, uh, again, just restore her in all ways. And for all the, for all the um, sort of examples of, of just people in our lives that we need to turn back to you, God, we ask for that, that, that God, that we would, we would follow you, that those in our lives that we love would um, turn their hearts towards you as well, that through your Spirit's power, you'd regenerate their hearts, that they'd come to a, a saving knowledge of who you are. Uh, and we also pray for, all, pray for all the conflict in the world, God, for the, the things that are going on in uh, the Ukraine right now. Um, uh, God, we know, there, where we, know, we know there are people in Russia that don't, that don't want this conflict, that mm-hmm. there are innocent people in that country that are um, uh, suffering under the sanctions placed in their country because of, of a belligerent leader. God, we know that there uh, are people in Ukraine that are losing their lives. We know that there are families being torn apart. There's a, um, it's just a humanitarian crisis there. And God, and, and just broadly, those things impact just the rest of the world, God. It's just a, coming out of COVID, experiencing something like this, it's, it's hard not to just be anxious in general about the state of the world. And so we ask that you be with all the, all the missionaries and the believers uh, in both those countries, God, that you would um, protect them, keep them safe, that God, we don't know how, but we know you're power, powerful enough to somehow use a situation like this to bring uh, people into knowledge of you. So we ask that this, the conflict would be resolved, that, um, that you would protect the innocent, that you would, um, uh, that you would enlighten people to a saving knowledge of you. Um, and that for, for those of us that are just in general, again, like I said, coming out of COVID, having all these world events, this really weird, tense political climate, that we wouldn't be distracted by those things, that we wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't be led astray by them, God, that we would continue to focus on you, God, that you would that you would keep us from devolving into any sort of anxiety, but that you would continue to place in us this the hope that we have in you and in the salvation that you've given us. Uh, just continue to uh, bless our church this time together that we have to study your word in the service. Be with Brennan as he speaks uh, and be with us throughout the rest of the day as we go out our separate ways. Uh, thank you again for loving us. Let me pray all this in your name. Amen.